This morning, I've got a message for you that I thought about including in the series that we ended last week, Understanding a World Gone Mad. And if you got the series, uh, you might want to get this CD and add it to the series, but I thought it was different enough not not to make it part of the series, but it's a very important message I want to share with you today. It really is. In the last two weeks of our Understanding a World Gone Mad series, we, we talked about the question, how will it end? How will the chaos that, that characterizes our lives and our world ultimately end? And we looked at, over two weeks, we looked at it from a Jewish perspective, we looked at it from an Islamic perspective, and we looked at it from the Christian's perspective. In other words, from the perspective of the monotheistic religious systems of our day. And, and of course, you know, if, depending on which system you're living under, there's a different level of excitement. The Jewish people, they're still hoping that Messiah is going to come. And when Messiah comes, he's going to catapult Israel into national prominence. And, and everything for the Jewish people is going to change. For the Islamic people, they're, they're, they're waiting for, for Allah to, to finally allow them to, to experience paradise. And, and all that according to their system they believe. Christians, you know, we're looking for the the second coming of Jesus Christ, and we're excited about that, and we're excited about the fact that that our word is true, and and we can can count on on everything that the Bible teaches and, and what Jesus taught us during his ministry, and we're looking forward to that great, amazing, eternal experience with him. But what about God? What is his expectation. What is God's passion? When when God considers the end, what's in his mind? What's in his heart? What's his anticipation of that day when he finally does bring all the chaos to an end? Where's God's mind? Where's God's heart in all of this? That's what I want to talk about today. And I really want you to listen Because this message has eternal significance from God's perspective, and it has eternal significance for every single one of us individually who are here today. This is an important message. And and I want you, as as, as I teach it, to pray for me that God will give me the ability to teach it in such a way that makes it understandable, in such a way that really helps us to understand the end from God's perspective. Now, to understand where God's coming from, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first book in our Bible, says what? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it gives the creation story, and I understand, depending on where you're at today and how you believe creation happened and all that, there can be different ideas, and 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 we're not going to argue those things today. But what we're talking about is the fact that, that as God created each element, the Bible says he stepped back and he said, it's good. And God must have put a lot of himself into creation because, you know, God, God could have just done it like, you know, some kind of like a Harry Potter movie, you know, uh, you know, let there be light, bling, you know, alakazam, alakazoom, alakazig, done it all in one day. But he didn't. Did it over seven days. And so it must have taken something out of God. It must have used his resources and even his omnipotence. But after each creative act, he stepped back and he said, that's good. 
When he looked at the, 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 the sea and, and the land, that's good. When he looked at the flowers and the trees he said, and, and, and everything, all the vegetation uh, that he created on earth, he said, wow, that is amazing. When he looked at the animals, he said, that's good. And on day six, he created his most prized creation. Bible records it in Genesis chapter one also. When God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all there is part of creation. Declared this, he said, so he created man in his own image. In the image of, man, of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And look what it says. It says, and it was what? Very good. It was very good. He looked back and said, it couldn't be any better. Everything is amazing. Everything, all of creation has come together and it's It's spectacular. And the zenith of it all is, look who we've created. We've created man in our own image. Now, boy, we could just spend a whole day talking about that, couldn't we? But in the end, after every creative event, he said, it's good. And of man, he said, it's really good. But then tragedy entered. Creation. Paul, in his New Testament letter to the Romans, talked about it in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. We know the story, Adam and Eve, God had created this amazing universe, this amazing planet. He put man and woman there, and there was one prohibition, just one. He said, one tree. On planet Earth, don't eat the fruit of that tree. And we know that Adam and Eve did exactly that. And the horror of that is not only did sin pass into their life, but they opened a portal into creation and allowed sin into, to enter through that portal. And sin and its devastating consequences. Sin bringing disease, bringing relational discord, bringing crime, bringing all these horrible things came into the lives of his most prized creation, man. Death became a reality. But not only did man's decision to rebel against God bring sin into this world and impact him and his relationships. But it had an effect and an impact on God's entire creation. Romans chapter 8, Paul, this same letter, writes beginning in verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who's that? It's talking about... Creation was impacted negatively, not by itself. It didn't do anything to rebel against God, but it was subjected to sin because of man who did. Goes on to say, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only was man impacted, but everything, everything God had created was impacted. 
Even today, creation's groaning like, like, like in childbirth. And that's why we have hurricanes and tornadoes. And that's why we have earthquakes. And that's why there's pollution. That's why all of creation, it's just in chaos. It's out of order. In other words, sin coming into the world through man's rebellion ruined everything that God had created. Have you ever had somebody ruin something you created? Maybe, ladies, you, you, you baked that, that really nice cake because you, you were going to a shower or a party or something like that, had that cake in there, and all of a sudden, a little later in the day, you came out and there was a big hunk cut out of that cake. You, what happened to my cake? Oh, it was something on the cake, you know? Icing on the guy's face, you know? It like, drives you nuts, right? Or, or maybe you're playing a game and you've been playing this game and it's intense and you got to take a break and came back and somebody had bumped the table and knocked all the pieces over. I remember when I was a little child for my birthday, my parents bought me a Cape Canaveral set. Now, now a lot of you remember that before being called the Kennedy Space Center, it was called Cape Canaveral. And so this was a nice, it had a mission headquarters, it was a nice tin mission headquarters box and I had rockets and everything. I loved my Cape Canaveral set. One day I'm playing out in the backyard with one of my friends. And, 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 this, and this kid, who was kind of a friend, he wasn't a real close friend, we let him hang out that day, picked up this big rock, and he says, Meteor! And he threw it and smashed my Cape Canaveral set. Well, I'll tell you, I wasn't thinking spiritual thoughts at that moment in time. I jumped up and chased that guy. I was going to deck him. But I was a pudgy boy, just like I'm a pudgy man. <laughs> and he was faster than I was, and he ran away. Apparently, he and his family moved. I I never saw him again for years. But later on, flash forward, I'm in high school now. I'm a junior in high school, and I'm walking down the hall, and I see this kid for the first time since he smashed my Cape Canaveral set. And immediately, anger swelled up in me, and I was over, and I was about to sucker punch him. You broke my Cape Canaveral set. You ruined it. I could never play with it again. We get so frustrated and even angry when people ruin things we create. Can you imagine how God must have felt after creating everything so perfectly, so beautifully? Man being his prized creation and man turning against him. Don't you know how justified God would have been to say, you ruined it. You ruin everything. You're going to get yours. But what if he didn't respond that way? Even though it would have been perfectly justifiable. Well, Paul raised that exact question. He says, well, now what if? Romans 9, 22. He says, what if God... Choosing to show his wrath and make his power known. When all this happened, God must have been there. There there must have been an impulse to say, you ruined it. You want to see who you're messing with? I'll show you who you're messing with. He said, now, now, what if God, who, who had every right, Paul asked, to respond that way? But what if God chose a different response? He goes on to say, What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? 
What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? In other words, here's what's, what Paul's saying. He's saying, what if, even though God had every right to act in wrath and pour his wrath on, on the planet and on mankind and just destroy everything and make it all over again. He could do that. But what if instead God chose to show his prized creation that that's not what he's like? What if instead God chose to show mercy instead of judgment, patience instead of wrath? Well, Paul's raising that question already knowing the answer because that's exactly how God responded. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Remember, remember man's sin? And it said, and by that one man's sin entered the world and death passed upon all men. Well, every one of us are born with a death penalty over our head. We're, we're born separated from God. We're born contaminated by the sting of sin. And the ultimate result of that, the wages, what we've earned because of our sinfulness is death. But what if God decided not to respond with wrath to our sinfulness? See, Paul goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Rather than Retribution, God chose blessing. God said, you ruined it. It was so perfect. It was so beautiful. Our relationship and your relationship with creation and all of our relationship together was so beautiful. And you ruined it. You deserve judgment. You deserve death. But instead, because I want you to know who I really am, I want you to know what I'm really like. I'm offering you life. And I'm offering it you as a gift. See, Scripture says, Romans 5, verse 6, it says, See, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, we were dead in our sins, we were as guilty as guilty could possibly be. Christ died for the ungodly. Paul writes, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. And we see that happen from time to time. We see a soldier who will throw himself on a grenade to save his comrades. We'll see someone who will push somebody out of, out of harm's way, only themselves to, to, to get hit by a car or drowned in a canal or, or, or whatever. We see that occasionally. But it goes on to say, but God demonstrates his own love. For us in this, while we were still sinners, while we were still powerless, while we were still guilty of ruining everything, God chose to respond with love through Jesus Christ. John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world. See, God desperately wants us to know that he's not a God of wrath. He's not a God of anger. He's a God of love, and over and over again, even when we were at our worst, and even today when we're at our worst, God chooses to respond with love. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, 
Now here's the gift part. That whoever will believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, verse 17 says, but that the world might be saved through him. That's God's offer to me. That's God's offer to you. Paul, again, in Romans chapter 10, he says, verse 8, he says, he says, but what does it say? It says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming, this gift that God offers, this response that God offers to our rebellion against him. Even though he would be justified into bringing chaos, into bringing judgment, into bringing wrath into our lives. He said, instead, he offers us a gift. He offers us love. And he says, here's how you receive that gift, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He said, if you'll just confess that you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. If you'll just confess that there is no other way back to God. There is no way to have your life restored to God except through what he did and having Jesus die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. He said, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. You'll have that gift. This morning, if you've never done that, oh, God wants to give you that gift so bad today. And if you're still wrestling with where are you going to spend eternity, you're struggling with a question. You're struggling with a burden that's already been taken care of. You're you're, you're wondering, is God going to judge me? Is God going to pour his wrath on me? You don't have to carry that burden. Jesus died on the cross to take that burden off of you. All you have to do is respond in faith and trust Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. If you're in that condition this morning, don't you leave this campus in that condition. Come to me. Come to someone at one of the tables. Come, Come to one of the deacons, the elders, the pastors. Let us get with you and talk to you about your eternal destiny. And, and if you won't do that, at least go, go by one of our, our tables, our, our booth, our welcome center, our resource table, and get one of these little booklets. Just say, hey, pastor talked about a little booklet. Can I have one of those little booklets? It says, you can be sure. It will walk you through everything you need to know to receive this eternal forgiveness from God. But that's only part of the problem because all of creation was ruined. So what's God going to do about that? Well, that's what we talked about last week. We talked about how God one day is going to destroy this current earth and this, the heavens that we know it. He's going to destroy it all. Why? Because it's all been ruined. It's been marred, as beautiful as this earth is. And I, I don't know about you, but I've been blessed in my life to be able to do some travel, and I've seen some amazing, breathtaking things on this planet. But even the most beautiful things that we can see on this planet, you've got to understand they've all been irreparably marred by the stench and, and by the, 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 the sin that has come into this world. But again, Scripture says, Revelation 21, 1, I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first earth and the first heaven had passed away. There was no longer any sea. God's going to make it all new again. 
He's going to make it new. He's going he's to restore it even better than it originally was. It's going to be an awesome place to spend eternity. When's that going to happen? He tells us it's going to happen after Jesus Christ comes back again. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. After Jesus had, had resurrected from the dead and, and after he had appeared to over 200 people and after he had spoken his last words to his immediate 11 remaining disciples and he told them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth, then God began to just take him back up into heaven and he just floated up off the earth. And we talked about it last week, how the disciples were, were there with their mouths open, just couldn't believe what they were seeing, and Jesus just disappearing into the clouds. And God sent a couple of angels to say, men of Galilee, why, why are you doing that? Why are you looking up? Why are you so dumbfounded? This same Jesus, who you see today going up into heaven, he's coming back. And he's coming back in his glory Now, now, let's get to God's perspective about the end. All that just sets it up. 2 Peter 3.9, even in Peter's day, Peter, one of the original 12 disciples, they're going out and they're preaching this fact, that, hey, Jesus is coming back. He's not dead. He's coming back. He rose. He's coming back. And even in his day, in his lifetime, people in the world, even the religious crowd were saying, when's he coming? You guys have been spouting that nonsense for years now. Nothing's changed. Everything goes on every day just like it did the day before. He's not coming back. You guys are crazy. And Peter says something so profound, so significant that we've got to guess it. We've got to embrace it. And he says this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He said, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let me tell you what God's perspective is. God's perspective is this, that every human being is still his creation. Every human being he still loves with a passion that we cannot even begin to understand. And God holds time still. God keeps Jesus from coming back. God stays his own hand from pouring out the wrath that we talked about is going to happen in the tribulation period. He holds back destroying this earth and this heaven because there's still people who have never trusted him as Savior. And God knows this, that even though he's a God of love and even though he's a God of mercy, he's also a God of justice. He cannot wink at sin. He's got to rule against sin. He's got to judge sin. And so one day, even though it breaks God's heart beyond our ability to understand, one day, God and I, I believe with tears coming down his cheeks, one day God's going to say, I can't wait anymore. I can't give anyone another chance. I've got to judge sin. And don't you kid yourself. This God of love is a God of justice and he will judge sin. You don't think so? Is Noah in the ark ring a bell? Does Sodom and Gomorrah ring a bell? Do the seven seal, trumpet, and bold judgments ring a bell? 
He'll do it. He's going to do it. He's, he, he doesn't want to do it, but he's got to do it. But he doesn't want to do it today. He wants every human being on planet Earth to have another opportunity to receive that gift that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die on the cross to give. But God's got a big problem. How's he going to do it? How's he going to get that word to them? How's he going to reach them? His whole passion, his existence every day is, I've got to get somebody else. Come on, just another two, another three, another hundred, another whatever around the world. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to stop. I don't want to call an end to it. I, I want my grace to continue as long as I can possibly allow it to. Paul asks, he says, how's God going to do that? Romans 10, 14 says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one that they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? God's got a problem because we are sinful. He can't have direct contact with us. That's why he doesn't come down and visit with us anymore like he did Adam and Eve. That's why he had to turn his back on his own son when his son became sin on the cross. So how's he going to do it? How is God going to accomplish his will for the end. Let me give you the answer. He's going to accomplish his will with you and me. That's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it through us. We're, we're those who of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, those of us who have adopted into the family of God, we are now God in flesh. We are God's representatives. And we're going to reach the world. And he's going to reach the world. All those he desperately, passionately wants to receive the gift of eternal life instead of be judged and separated from him all eternity. He's going to do that through our witness. 1 Peter 2.9, he says of the Christian community, this is all of us who have trusted Christ. He said, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. He says, you need to tell people about what I've done for you. You need to be bold. You don't need to be secret agents for the kingdom of Christ. You need to be bold. You need to tell people, listen, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Let me tell you why I know I'm going to heaven. See, he, he'll do it through our witness. He'll do it through our transformations. See, our witness really has no validity to our friends and our family members and our coworkers and our neighbors and strangers just because we say it. It's got to be backed up with something. And what oftentimes it's backed up, it's backed up with our transformation. Ephesians 4, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, that's before you trusted Christ, to put your old self off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And it said, in other words, he said, we need to every day be working on our transformation. Every day we should struggle. We should try to become more Christ-like. Do you know that's one of the most powerful tools that God uses to reach people for, for his kingdom, to reach people with the truth of the gospel? 
I can't tell you how, how many husbands that, that, that shared their testimony who have came to faith and said, I, I saw the change in my wife after she trusted Christ. And I f- first thought it was just some kind of a new fad she was going through. But, but there was a change in her that I couldn't ignore. And I had to come and find out what that change was about. And I found Jesus Christ. Same thing of how, how many wives, same kind of story. How many kids, teenagers start coming to youth group and, that, and, and there's such a change in their parents. say, ah, What in the world has gotten into them? I've got to find out. See, it's our transformation. Let me ask you a question. What's different about you today? What makes you more Christ-like today than than you were yesterday or you were a year ago? What's different? See, we need to be constantly in the process of transformation so that people look at us and say, what is going on in your life? And we can point them to the cross. We can say, there's nothing with me. It's all about what Jesus has done. See, that's how God's going to get that message out to those he's desperate. He's holding all time still. He's going to do it through our service. 1 Peter 4.10, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God has given every one of us talents. God has given every one of us spiritual giftedness. And it's not just so we can sit around and say, well, I've got this or I've got that. It's to use to bless others. It's to use to help others. Every single person who, who, who claims to be a part of a church in any way, whether through formal membership or regular attendance, every person should be involved in some kind of ministry for God. You say, well, I can't preach and I can't sing. And I can't. There's so many more things. Do you know how, how desperately we, we need some more people to just help us get these chairs set up on Saturday morning? We had two guys do it this weekend. You know how, how easy it would be to say, hey, you know, I'll come out, I'll volunteer once a month, or I'll volunteer for a month every other, you know, every three months, every four months, and just come out and spend one hour of time. That's serving God. The reason you can sit in these chairs today, and the reason somebody here might trust Christ as their Savior today, sitting in a comfortable chair, is because somebody served God. In our children's ministries, our Awana ministries, our nursery ministry, just people giving out bulletins coming in, people shaking hands at the door. It's all serving God, and it all will make an eternal difference in the lives of people who walk onto this campus for the first time searching for something, some answer to the whole that represents and characterizes their life. See, that's how God's going to do it through our service. It's going to do it through our sacrifice, through our giving. Malachi 3.10, God is speaking through the prophet Malachi. And God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Tithe is 10%. You know, the biblical standard for what God wants us to sacrifice, what God wants us to give is the tithe. It's 10% of our earnings. And he says, he says, here's what it's for. It's so that I can reach people, so that I, I need that, so we can have ministry, so we can have missions trips, so we can have Sunday school, and we can have Adventure Zone, and we can have all these different things that the church uses to reach people who I passionately want to save before I've got to cut off this day of grace. He says, look at this. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room to hold it. See, God says, you've got to engage. 
He says, you got to do it. He says, I need you to be part of the kingdom. I need you to be part of reaching people that I'm holding all time still to give one more opportunity to trust me. Jesus talked a lot about this. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 10 through 11, he said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted, or whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm watching what's going on here. He says, and if you're dishonest with a little bit, I can't bless you with any more because you're just going to squander it. I'm giving it to you, not just for you. I'm giving it to you so that you can be a part of reaching others. But what Jesus is really talking about is not even in this world. Now, it's true that God will bless us according to the way that we have demonstrated we will use it for his glory. But Jesus is talking about, he says, who will trust you with true riches? See, he's talking about in the world to come. Jesus said in Revelation twenty two twelve, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. According to what? According to his witness. According to his transformation. According to his service. According to their sacrifice. I, I, I'm going to give everyone according to what they've invested now, now, when's he going to do that? And what's he, why is he going to do that? He's going to do that not for this life, but for the life to come. 2 Peter 3.13, but in keeping with his promise. What's that promise? That he's coming back and that he has his reward with him. He says, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. See, God's saying this. He's saying, I don't want anyone to perish. I don't want anyone to be cut off. I want everyone to experience the joy of eternal life with me, and I can't do it without you. That's what he's saying. And you know what those, really, those rewards really are? You know, he's not saying, oh, good job, nice job. Oh, great job, give me five. In giving us those rewards, here's what God is really saying. He's saying, thank you. Thank you, I, I couldn't have reached that guy without you. Thank you, I couldn't have reached her. I, those kids over there, I, we could have, I could have never reached them without you, without your witness, without the transformation that they saw in your life, without the service that you gave to your church, without the sacrifice, without the giving that you gave. I couldn't have reached them, and thank you, thank you, thank you. They're here because you helped me make that possible. All those rewards is God pouring out on us, pouring out on you. His thankfulness that you lived your life for something bigger than you. And you helped him fulfill his purpose for the end. Look what scripture says. Psalm 53, 2 says, God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. That's God this morning. He's looking down. He said, do any of you get this? Will any of you embrace this? Will any of you seek me? Will any of you change your mind about the way you've been living, the way you've invested your time and your money and everything? He said, will you get it? Will you get it from my perspective? Will you understand what I'm trying to accomplish? Will you help me do that? Paul reminds us, 
In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will reap generously. Oh, my friends. (laughs) Will you get it? Will you get it this morning? Will you get what God wants to do? Will you get what God, where his heart is and where his passion is? Will you get that you play a critical role in helping him reach some of those people who are going to perish, who he'll have to pour his wrath on? Let's bow our heads. Will you get it? Will you commit to it today? Will, will, will today you, you embrace maybe a change of heart? Will you embrace a change of attitude? Will you embrace the end from his perspective? And will you right now pray to him and say, God, I want to play a significant role in making it happen with you, for you. Oh, he'll thank you in ways that you can't even imagine. He'll do things in your life, and he'll do things for you, even in this life. But oh my goodness, in the life to come. See, life, as you've heard us say before, is preparation for eternity. It's not about here, it's about what's to come. Father, I pray, God, I don't don't know. God, I pray that I was able to communicate what you've put in my heart and my mind this week. And God, I pray that what I've spoken today and through your word that you've promised to empower, that it's made it real in the hearts and the minds of, of, of my wonderful brothers and sisters here today. God, help us to understand that there's something so much bigger than any of us. And God, you have challenged us to be your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, as you literally hold back time, as you literally hold back judgment, as you literally hold back wrath, to give maybe another one of our family members one more chance, maybe another one of our coworkers one more chance, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend. God, you're holding Christ back just to give them another chance. God, help us to be part of your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet. Use us for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, we're going to take an offering now. And I understand that we talk about 10%, and I understand some of you right now say, 10%, you got to be kidding. There's no way in the world I could give 10% of what I give or what I make. Well, I get that because I was there at one time in my life too. But let me encourage you with this Start making that your goal. And do you realize this? 70% of people who attend our church don't give anything. I don't, I, that's what the business office tells me. Just start giving something. Just start investing in some way. Make tithing your goal. Maybe if you do give, make it a goal that in 2015, you're going to give 1% more than you gave in 2014. And, and, and get up there. If you're not serving in a ministry, we we need help. 
in, in areas. We'll get you involved. Work on your transformation. Work on your witness. Father, bless us as we give to you now. Love us and God, help us to get it. Help us to buy into it. Help us to, to serve you with all our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, all our strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.